morning, FCS football fans. Welcome to the FCS Opening Drive Podcast, presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting and Football Game Plan. David Hassigan here with the czar of the playbook, Emery Hunt. Emery, good morning, sir. Good morning, Dave. How are you this last day of 2018? It's New Year's Eve, folks. And I'm hoping that the weather's going to be better wherever you are than it is going to be in New York City. I do not I mean, I mean, I'm never jealous of the people that stayed in Times Square because they're. I mean, I think it's just stupid. But that's because I live here. But it's going to be raining here tonight, and they're going to be out in the cold and the elements, and they don't allow umbrellas. Bro, I did that. I did the New Year's Eve thing in Times Square. My first year here was 2005, so 2006. Yeah. yeah. New Year's New Year's uh, Eve, going into New Year's Eve or going to New Year's Day. And that was the last time I did it because I, I was like, "Yo, people are crazy if they do this every year. Like, you oh, can't yeah. go to the bathroom, you can't leave, yeah, because you lose your spot and you're gridlocked in the city. You can't move. You can't move. I was like, this is the dumbest thing ever. And so from 2006 <laughs> January 1st on, I've been on my couch. There's a there's a reason that yeah, people who do that every year are insane. I, I don't know what the point is, but wherever you are, folks, we hope you've had a great 2018 and even better 2019 coming up. Hopefully. Um, if you are enjoying yourself some adult beverages this evening, we ask that you please, A, drink responsibly, and B, please don't be stupid. Stay off the road, stay home, sleep on a couch, sleep on the floor, or wherever you happen to pass out. Any, either one of those options is available to you. Just do not drink and drive, please. Please be, stay, please be safe out there. Um, we got a lot to talk about on the show, folks. We're going to have Craig Haley joining us in just a few minutes here in the podcast, talking about his 2018, the state of the FCS. He's going to give his title game thoughts as well as our own. We're going to talk about some more coaching changes. We've had some interesting hires from all over the place now. Uh, we have internal hires. We've had another big program that made it to the semifinals making a change. Um, and then, we'll, of course, we'll break down the national title game. North Dakota State, the Bison, the Kings of the Missouri Valley taking on the Eastern Washington Eagles from the big sky. We are going to break down position by position who has the edge. We kind of tried to do that the last podcast two weeks ago, and it, it wasn't easy. It was not easy to not do easy. so. So we're going to try to break it down, and I doubt Emery's going to give a prediction, but I will give a prediction at the end of this show. But let's get into it, folks. Let's talk about some uh, coaching changes. Actually, before we do that, uh, we do have one award. The two uh, big awards of the year still have not been handed out, the Buck Buchanan and the Walter Payton. Uh, but the Doris Robinson Scholar-Athlete Award um, has been um, decided going to offensive tackle from Stony Brook, Chris Infantino. Uh, so obviously... Most of these, I mean, all of these players are are students first. They are amateurs, and the scholar athlete award. You know, this is what it's about: going to college, getting the education, having that plan just in case the football career, the football dream doesn't pan out. So, congratulations to Chris on winning that award. Let's get into coaching changes, though. Emery, we have five new coaches that we can talk about since the last podcast, and we're going to start with an intriguing one, and it's the new hire by Bryant. Chris Merritt is taking over. If you haven't heard that name before, folks, it's because he's never coached high school. He's no, never coached college football before. He's been in high school for the last 18 years at Christopher Columbus High School in Miami, Florida. But he's compiled a 172 and 45 record. Unknown territory for him. Unknown territory for Bryant, who's had a couple of good years in a row, but they just haven't gotten over the hump. What do you think about this this hire, Emery? I'm glad you were able to fill out the resume because if people just on its face here, high school coach. 18 years oh my god we're terrible but people forget Hugh Freeze started as a high school coach mm-hmm. and he got his his start with Arkansas because he had the top quarterback at the time in the country and Mitch Mustang um, commit to Arkansas and part of the deal was 
you know, they hired the high school coach to bring his offense. So his offense was crazy. Uh, maybe it was Gus Malzahn. Uh, it was one of those. I think it was Hugh Freeze. Mm-hmm. It was Hugh Freeze or Gus Malzahn, but I'm pretty sure it was Hugh Freeze. I think it was Hugh Freeze. So they brought him in, ran his offense to try to make the transition easier. So we've seen this before. Right. And the cool part about what Bryant did was they went and got a guy that coached high school football, not in Rhode Island, nothing against Rhode Island high school football coaches. I'm pretty sure they're great. But Miami – Florida and Florida in general and the South in general is just a different animal mm-hmm. as far as high school football is concerned. So that's big time football. They got a guy that coached 18 years in a state where football is king. Um, and that gives them now a pipeline to go get talent from the South and bring them up north to Rhode Island. And so I think that was a smart strategic hire. I love that hire already. Going to be an interesting one for sure. Next one is uh, at Chattanooga. Um, one of those blue blood programs that we've talked about before, Rusty Wright is returning to his alma mater. He was an assistant coach there uh, a few years ago. He spent last year at Georgia State. Coming back to his alma mater, he knows the region. He knows the school, obviously, from playing there and coaching there. This is a great hire for Chattanooga, I think. Yeah, I'm a big Rusty Wright guy, so I love the fact that he's going back and coaching his alma mater. And You always like the fact that it means something to somebody. And We talked about this yeah. with uh, Tennessee Tech. I think it's the same thing here. Uh, with Chattanooga, I think he's going to do a solid job. Um, new head man at Drake, well, it's the same face, just in a new position. Todd Stepsis, who's actually, he was um, part-time head, he was the interim head coach for the last few weeks of the season. He was their, also their defensive coordinator. He has been given the full-time mantle, and we saw what, did, what Drake did this year. I mean, he definitely did something right. This is a smart move by Drake. Yeah, and we know Iowa State would no longer reach out to them to schedule them on short notice. <laughs> you know, so, shout out to Never. Drake. Uh, shout out to Iowa State for calling up Drake and almost taking that L. Um, <laughs> they did eventually take that L uh, against the team they played against Washington State. Yep. Beat the yep. beat the Cyclone off of them. But I think this was a great hire by Drake. I, I'm always a fan of these hires because you get guys that know the players that are currently there. So you don't have that situation where guys come in and say, oh, well, we got to bring our guys in. Well, these are his guys. Right. And so he's going to continue to build on what was already laid as what I think was a pretty solid foundation. Drake is a, a solid football team, great football history. A lot of people don't know how Drake was a powerhouse at one point in time in the Midwest right. um, in the Missouri Valley Conference prior to uh, the whole Johnny Bright incident, which is a, a black eye on college football and, mm. and race relations. But And you know that's the reason why they stopped playing Oklahoma State because yeah. of that incident. So yeah. historic program, really good foundation there. I think Drake is going to come up. You talked about internal hires, and we've, we've seen this with so many big teams this year. JMU with a change of head coach. We know North Dakota State's got one on the way. University of Maine with a change. Costa Rasmiak, Springfield College guy, moving on to Minnesota to become, we, I think, the defensive coordinator. So a very nice move up for him. But the very next day, Maine had their guy, Nick Charlton taking over, higher from within. Maine is in a great place right now, and it's only going to get better. Yeah, Harris Emiak is taking the Joe Moorhead approach, uh, <laughs> taking a taking a step down from title, but step up in level of play uh, as far as subdivision, right? which could springboard into a FBS head coaching job. He mm-hmm. did great things at Maine. I love the internal hire, and they did it right away. Recruiting is big for programs like Maine considering they don't have the, the wealth of high school talent exactly. there. So you got to get on that, that horse pretty quickly. 
And I love the fact that they were able to go in-house once again, bringing a guy that knows the players. These are his guys, and he's yeah. just going to continue to add on what they were already building. And the fact that they did this hire the next day means that they probably knew this was a possibility about a month or so ago at least. Um, but as you said, on the recruiting trail, knowing, you know, okay, I'm not going to be the guy, but this is the guy. And have that guy, you know, have Coach Charlton next to you saying, this is your next football coach, but I'm still the coach right now. We can work on this. You know, let's, you know, sell you on University of Maine. And after the run they did this year, New Hampshire might have some problem keeping their state uh, boundary lines, perhaps, for recruiting. Um, but one other um, interesting hire to talk about here so far, three um, openings still uh, available in the FCS, by the way, Charleston Southern, Lehigh, and Morgan State. So hopefully those will get filled soon. But Sacramento State has their new head ball coach, Troy Taylor, coming over the offensive coordinator the last two years at Utah. We've said for the last two years, Sacramento State is tremendous on defense. That's what's gotten them wins. Offense, they've been lacking. You got a guy from the Pac-12 coming in who's run a pretty successful program at Utah. This might be exactly what Sacramento State needs. Yeah, and, and think about it. Offensive coordinator did a great job with that program, and not just the offense itself, because Kyle Winningham is one of the best coaches in college football, period. Right. And, and has been dominant at Utah. But when you look at you know the OC, he's also been very good in developing quarterbacks. Mm. And we've seen multiple quarterbacks from Utah go down with injury, and the next guy comes in, and you're like, man, this guy is better than the starter. <laughs> yeah, so credit him for developing QBs, keeping the next guy ready, but also having that eye of finding very good quarterback talent. So I love the hire. I, I guess I love every hire. Exactly. And we'll have to see what happens next from there. Um, obviously, we're going to have to take a look at the three openings still there, amazingly. Um, Charleston Southern being one of them. You, I wonder if uh, maybe a certain coach that just retired from Georgia Tech might uh, decide to take a little cozy job down by the shore in the Carolinas to <laughs> triple I mean, option. They want to go back to the triple option. I mean, I love, I love the triple option, and 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 you know, he he, you know, Paul Johnson was a really good coach at the FCS level when he was at Georgia Southern. Just I'm just saying, you're right. So we'll have to see how that goes. Obviously, we'll keep an eye on all those coaching hires. All right, and now, let's, folks, let's get into the next segment of the show. We are now joined. Um, well, he's been called a number of things on our program, Emery. He's been our complaints department. He's <laughs> been, uh, I think he's offered to host a bowl game, perhaps. Um, in his backyard. In his backyard. I think he's doing the cooking, too. Uh, but he is the um, one of the gurus of FCS football for FCS stats. Uh, Craig Haley joining us on the podcast. Craig, good morning. Hey, good morning. You know, I've been fielding uh, complaints since uh, August, so I, I really haven't slept <laughs> if, if I seem a little tired. <laughs> well, well we, I, I noticed that when uh, I think it was the day before uh, the, the selection show, you were, you were getting a little short with people on Twitter. Were you having a, were you having a bad day, or were you just sick and tired of stupid questions? <laughs> I, I have those moments. My, my wife hates it, but uh, I just like to keep it lively on Twitter. So, yes, I, I'm not, I'm not afraid to uh, claw back. <laughs> that, that's that. See, you know what? You, you and I are very similar in that way. And, well, one thing that I'm known for, at least according to Emery, is my, um, my hot takes. Oh, which yeah. Are, Usually, um, I think, are considered flambe, I think you said. <laughs> Blue flame hot. <laughs> so, what are your best and worst predictions? Looking back on what we said, you know, beginning of the season, what you were thinking, what were your best and worst predictions of the 2018 year? 
<laughs> well, if we're talking wor- worst, it, it's which one? Because <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> um, I'd say if we start with the worst, it would be uh, probably in the CAA. I mean, I, I had New Hampshire third ranked going into the year, and, and I just thought they were going to be phenomenal off last year, uh, mm-hmm. you know, making it to the quarterfinals and, and having so many back. And even Villanova in the CAA, I thought they could be a, a quarter finalist or a mm-hmm. semifinalist. I I know I had them number eleven on my preseason ballot, and I just thought they could even exceed that, especially when they beat Temple. I mean, that kind of suggested yeah, big week things, one. But <laughs> just like okay, this is going to be fine. They're going to roll. This is perfect. <laughs> nope, <laughs> same old Villanova. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, best prediction. I guess you could maybe say I, I thought the Missouri Valley Conference could maybe beat up on each other enough times that the number of playoff teams would be lower than in past years and it mm. certainly it was with only three and you know that was just half the number of, of CAA's six bids you know which set the record I, I still think uh, you know the Missouri Valley has proven to be the best conference and it's unfortunate they only had the three bids but I did foresee you know them beating up on each other too much that it could be a problem Absolutely, and and you talked about the CAA getting six teams in, and yet none of those teams made it to the final. So it's it's one of those weird scenarios where you have such a great conference, but nobody could get could finish the deal. Yeah, and and I think if you include the playoffs, I think the Big Sky probably exceeds the CAA now for maybe being the second best conference to to the Missouri Valley. Well, there's a bold <laughs> statement, folks. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do think you know in the end it didn't pan out well for for the CAA, you know, with really, you know, just Maine getting to the final eight and, you know, they made it to the final four. Yeah, I think I I think I share one of the worst takes with with Craig. I was all over New Hampshire in the beginning. I'm just saying only one person here predicted Maine was actually going to be a playoff team. But you you are the natural born hater, though. That's the thing. Like you you were (laughs) anything New Hampshire you was shooting out. What what part of being humane is, is anti-New Hampshire besides the rivalry game? I said that they had the offensive line with a 1,000-yard rusher last year. True. And if they could find the offense to replace that, they had a chance. Now, my best take, I thought, was I was all over Colgate. Preseason. Yes, you were. And during the season. And, and I faded late on Colgate when I saw that James Madison game. I was like, you know what? Because I was, you know, about to – Put out a hot take that this would be the, this would be the team that that beats North Dakota State. Oh boy! Right, but <laughs> when in that James Madison game, you saw the limitations of their offense. They turned the ball over at record clip and couldn't put James Madison away. So, but Craig, I wanted to ask you this: when you sure. look at the fact that you are great at what you do, you handle all the criticism, and you also put out great content. And you know we Thank both you. are. <laughs> we both are content creators, Craig. Where and we both get interesting uh, comments. What's the weirdest comment or the dumbest comment you've ever gotten uh, <laughs> from a from a reader or a listener? Uh, well, I think it's fans. All you have to do is pick against a team for one game. You could be <laughs> picking them a million times in a row, and, and I did that with North Dakota State mm-hmm. and. Uh, I picked them to lose to Illinois State. I wasn't sure Illinois State had enough defense to actually win that game, but I thought, you know, you taking the Colorado State win, I gave them a shot. And they were kind of blown out. They lost 28-14, but it was, it was handily. I think it was 28 to nothing at one point. 
and just the abuse you take. <laughs> I mean, one person online, uh, an ND, NDSU fan, wrote, oh, he hasn't picked a, uh, against the Bison since the Iowa game. Well, you're talking two and a half years back. <laughs> How would somebody even know that? And you know what? He was 100% right, because I went back and looked, and he was 100% right. How he would know that, I don't know. But He's, all it takes he's got a spreadsheet. Pick- he's got a spreadsheet yeah. at home with every every expert in the FCS <laughs> and what their predictions are for every single game. And he's just like, well, let me look back and let me go back. Yes, he predicted against the beer. Even Montana, those fans are tough, and they're passionate. I'll give them that. Yes. But, like, I remember the when they lost to Coastal Carolina – in the playoffs a few years back, it was going to be in the 20s all week, and everybody knew it. And people, you know, I picked Coastal to win that game. And it took abuse all week. And all he talked about was the weather, the Grizz fans. Well, sure enough, Coastal Carolina won, won in Missoula. You never hear a word afterwards, and you get that from all <laughs> fan bases. You, you pick against somebody, one little nugget of uh, maybe it could be construed as a negative, people just go overboard. I have no, I, I have no favorites. I, I just want to see good games. I root for people, you know. Whoever wins, I'm, I'm gonna. The sun's gonna come up the next day. So I'm not rooting against anybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, North Dakota State fans, and I probably will do this too. They still harass me about the prediction I made. I want when I first started to do videos, I picked <laughs> Robert Morris to beat North Dakota State. <laughs> I don't well, know. Something. They, they were ahead at halftime, I believe, seven to six, if I remember correctly. Mark, yeah, Robert they, Morris. They, they were. That's the, that's the point. Because at that point, Robert Morris was scoring like some weird number per game, and I was like, "Yo, this offense looks pretty good." And I had seen them play, so I was like, "Okay, I could I could see this offense." Because it's always the same thing when you pick against North Dakota State. Oh yeah. You, tr- you don't trust the athletes on the perimeter. You think other teams always have the better athletes, mm-hmm. and it never works out. And I mean, they always. Pop that video pops up every year around you know I'm like wow <laughs> how off base was I but you know I I get it but our serious question here Craig we sure. talked earlier about the the coaching hires uh, what are your takes on some of the new coaching hires who who hit a home run in your opinion well for I think it's it's a very interesting year because of all the SCS coaches moving up to FBS jobs. I mean, to have four mm-hmm. of them in a year is tremendous. You know, Chris Kleinman, Mike Houston, Will Healy, Tom Arth. I, I think that's kind of, you know, is a big deal this year to have that many. Um, I think, you know, 22 at, at this point in counting, and, and maybe it has stopped because it, it's, it's stopped the last few weeks. I think that's a lot. Last year was 25. That was phenomenal how many schools underwent coaching changes and really 22 is like the second biggest number of, of this decade so I, I'm, I think that's the other story is is how you know they you know there's been so many the last two years I mean usually in a typical year you may be like 15 or 16 this, I don't know why there's so many in this two-year run but I, I do think the uh, you know the, the having four go into the FCS is a big deal um, Maybe Troy Taylor going to Sac State, Sacramento mm-hmm. State, is, is, could really pan out. I mean, you know, his, his offensive mind. I, I thought it was surprising that Jody Sears was fired a year after he was co-coach of the year in the Big Sky. But yeah. uh, prior to last year, he had struggled there. So I, I think that could be one that, that could be really hit on. Um, you know, you got to figure guys moving in, uh, you know, uh, you know, Kirk Signetti and, into James Madison. I mean, the spotlight's going to be on him. You know, uh, Matt Ents at, at NDSU, you know, taking over there. Those are going to be spotlight jobs. 
I mean, and, you know, we, we also lost some big names. I mean, you know, everybody's rooting for, for uh, Andy Cohen uh, with his battle with mm-hmm. health issues. Um, who am I forgetting? Uh, Jimmy uh, Laycock Jimmy as Laycock. well. Yeah, you know, stepping down. Um, uh, Jerome Sowers, everybody kind of foresaw that just because they were looking to move in a younger direction. I mean, mm-hmm. those are some longstanding coaches. I mean, that's another big storyline. But you really do have to see how things work. I mean, you hope everybody hits it right, but, you know, for every winning team, there's going to be a losing team, so you can't always get it right. Exactly. And let's talk about this year in general, Craig. I mean, this year more than any in the last five or ten has just been a a giant ball of chaos. I mean, every week you're looking at four or five or six upsets in the top ten, never mind the top 25. Um, there's been a great amount of competitive balance this year in the FCS, uh, with a you know exception of a few teams and a couple of conferences. What do you think the state of the FCS is now? Is it as strong as it's ever been? Well, I do think you're right. The optimum word is chaos, and in the last <laughs> few years, have really grown to be that way. Where you know, after the top one or two teams, it seems like anybody can beat you know anybody on a given weekend, and and it happens. I mean, there's been weekends where you know 12 ranked teams have have lost. Uh, on on a yeah. in one weekend and 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 you know eight or nine is like a regular number so it happens all the time. You also see it on the FBS level too. So yes, there's a lot of chaos. I I think the, the FCS is is you know quite solid. Um, I, I think it peaked a couple years ago, like maybe Carson Wentz senior season, just because not only did you have a dynasty going on and he came back and, and you know won in the championship game, but you know, suddenly he was being projected for a, a, a top pick, and you know he ultimately went second. And the focus on the FCS level, I think, was at an all-time high. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's solid. I think um, you know everybody's still kind of waiting to see if the Power Five conferences maybe break off on the F, FBS level, and then and then who mixes up between the the lower tiers of the FBS and, and the upper tiers of the FCS. So everybody's still kind of waiting, and we've been in waiting mode for a couple years now. I mean, it certainly hurts the FCS to lose, you know, programs like Appalachian State and Georgia Southern mm. and others, you know, moving up. But at the same time, other teams do come on strong. Uh, you know, it would be a big deal if, say, James Madison or, or North Dakota State ever ever left um, because, they're, you know, they're just staples, especially what, what JMU has done in recent years to, to follow behind uh, uh, North Dakota State, so I, I do think it's strong. I, you know, I do. You know, attendance has been a little down all across college football, not just the FCS level. Uh, the FCS playoffs has been quite down, but I, you know, I don't mean to be negative here because it's still strong. It's a great product. You know, they're getting about twenty NFL draft picks a year, so it, it's it's still it's outstanding. Yeah, and, and to follow up, Craig, when you look at you're you're old enough to remember this, and 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 you're a big college football historian too. When the at the time one AA and, and one A split, you know when there was that split between the two, uh, well, split between Division One. For a while, it took a long time, uh, maybe a couple years before the Ivy, uh, the Missouri Valley, and I want to say the Southland Conference fully went full fledged FCS. Um, and so that tells me when you look at those teams, and I've told this to Dave before, teams in the Southland, Missouri Valley, even teams in the CAA, I think William & Mary was another one of those teams that mm. took a while before they fully went uh, full-fledged 1AA. 
there's not much separation between Sunbelt, Southland, or Conference USA, CAA, you know, like that, other than the, the scholarship numbers. But the, 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 the level of play and, the, the, you know, the, the program prestige, I think, is a lot the same. Do you feel as though when you look at the, let's say, the top half of the FCS and the bottom half of the group of five, it, but you you think we could see a situation where we could see more teams maybe drop down, or they create a new, almost like a tri level. Like I think they have it in a way one A, one double A, one triple A. You think you may see some of that uh, down the line as this Power Five bubble is just going to get bigger and bigger. Well, I. I'd- I hope that there's no change. I hope it stays status quo. But, you know, again, we're, everybody's kind of waiting on it. Um, I like what the FCS does, obviously, with, with having the playoff system. And 24 seems to be the right number. I don't think 16's enough. I think 32 might be too much, uh, especially what we saw this year with, you know, six and five teams mm. being right there. I, so I hope there's no change. If there is, yes. I mean... There's more money, much more money on the FBS level, especially you know with TV contracts, and, and the FCS is doing well to really promote and, and you know have these digital networks, and every conference seems to have you know a million games now available, so that helps. But there is so much more money uh, on the FBS level, and, th- and that's why you see coaches leave too, because their salary salaries are going to triple on that level. Mm. If there's if there is change and, and the Power Five does break off, yeah, I, I think. The the uh, the group of five conferences uh, are all going to look to you know have other schools move up uh, and, and you know keep that sustainable because yes you know an NDSU is is perfectly capable of holding its own on the FBS level I mean look look at Georgia Southern and App State they've gone right in and, and done well on the Sun Belt and the Sun Belt might be considered you know t- ten out of ten by some people but. At the same time, you know, when you just go in and instantly become a contender like that, that's saying something of how strong upper-tiered teams are. You know, there's so, you know, with scholarships readily available uh, with FCS programs, you know, it, 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 people see, you know, players see coming out of high school, hey, I can step in here and do well uh, and, and not just be a body on the next level, and it's good football. So I, I do hope things stay the same, but if it changes, yes. I mean, there, you're going to see movement from teams – on you know uh, teams moving up and, and and teams in the Power Five wanting to merge with with other schools. Uh, follow up, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people love the FCS, but the people that are the FCS tend to hate the FCS. It's almost like they talk about the subdivision in a negative way, mm. almost like it always needs improvement or you yeah, know it's yeah. not the best product. Can, but I'm like, man, I think it's a really good product. If you had one thing that you could do to to elevate the FCS, or I don't want to say change, but elevate the FCS, what, what change would be made that you see, okay, this could help make the subdivision a lot better? Well, I, I just think, you know, people are, are not, can be naive at times to, you know, what what's out there and there's a lot of talent out there so it would be great if there were more uh fcs games you know on national networks mm-hmm. um you know especially the espn networks because to me you know a you know two strong teams especially conference teams you know clashing heads i'm gonna i just think i see that being just as important as you know a conference usa game or or a sunbelt game i mean I don't. I don't see why we have to 
be saturated all the time um, with, with FCS, FBS conferences when, when you know, FCS teams are willing to play each other if they're going to get national exposure. Yeah, and I think ESPN Plus has certainly helped somewhat with the exposure there, but yeah, I'd much rather see a North Dakota State-South Dakota State game on ESPNU rather than Marshall taking on God Lord knows who, who yeah, right. in the Conference USA. I think you're completely right. Also, you mentioned North Dakota State moving up. If they enjoyed the Big Ten, they're ahead of Rutgers already. So that's no, that's <laughs> one team down, a whole bunch more to go. Um, that is true. <laughs> Craig, let's get into, obviously, the big game, the true playoff final coming up this weekend, North Dakota State versus Eastern Washington. We know how dominant North Dakota State is. We know everything there is about their program, how good they are from top to bottom at every position. Eastern Washington last year was a disappointment. They shouldn't. They should have been better. They've come back with a vengeance, and they've overcome injuries to do so with an electric offense. What are your thoughts on this championship game coming up, and what should we look for to see what can flip the balance of power? <laughs> well, oh, if you guys have been drinking the eggnog, I've been drinking the bison uh, Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> You've learned your lesson. You've learned your lesson. <laughs> yes, I, I do think North Dakota State wins this game. I, I think we've seen this story too many times where, you know, the build-up to the championship game. And, and I think Eastern Washington, you know, has a, has a puncher's chance. I just think North Dakota State always seems to wear down teams at the line of scrimmage, and, mm. and I think that can happen here. Um, you know, I, I, at the same time, you know, the Bi- the Bison's due for a clunker. <laughs> you, you never get a clunker out of them. No, I mean, at some point, it's going to happen, and, and it's going to happen against a really good program, and, and that's what Eastern Washington is. Um, I, I think at times through the years in the championship, like in the buildup, and you get there, you talk to some of the players – Schools like Towson and, and Jacksonville State, I don't think they knew what was coming. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I just sensed that, two, you know, like on media days, like two days prior to the championship, just, wow, they don't know how good this Bison program is. Mm-hmm. Now, I think Eastern Washington's probably better than the two I just mentioned, but at the same time, you give, it, it's almost like the Patriots, you give them that time to, to game plan. Mm-hmm. You know, they they usually get it done. They get it more done than the Patriots. Let's put it that way. But at the same time, <laughs> they they've been on a mission all year, and, and I, I don't think they've just been on a mission to get the seventh title, which would be a record because they're tied with Georgia Southern. I think they've been on on uh, a mission to be one one of the great teams in history of the FCS, and and, and definitely be the best Bison team. So I, I think there's many factors here. Now you add in. Chris Kleiman leaving, mm. a solid senior, outstanding senior class. You know, Easton Stick can, can set a new record for, for wins by an F, FCS quarterback. It just seems to me there's too much weighing towards the Bison. You know, I hope it's a good game. I hope it's a one-point game. But I do mm. just I, – I think the Bison is a better team, and, and destiny is, is here for them. It's funny, when when I met Craig for the first time, it was at the national championship game, and we got a classic with Illinois State and North Dakota State that came down to the last mm. possession. Like, So we've seen it happen before. Yep. It, it's, I, I hope we, because I'll be there as well you know, th- for this game. So I hope it's an entertaining game, and I hope uh, for, for our sake, like we found out um, last time I was there, that <laughs> the press box, I was sitting right behind a nice – uh, post 
So I could, <laughs> I could not see a lot of what was going on. Although I, I think it's interesting, Craig, that you mentioned one-point game because the only national title that Eastern Washington won at the FCS level, 20-19 over Delaware, it was the first national game in Frisco, Texas, and that was also the last national title game that did not involve either North Dakota State or JMU in it. Wow. Yes, I, I was actually at that game. That was the first one. I've been to every one in Frisco, and Bo Levi Mitchell was, was tremendous. <clears throat> Excuse me, J.C. shared on defense. He had 18 tackles that night. Oh. What a great, you know, great game. And I'll tell you what, Casey Keeler was not happy the way they spotted a ball on fourth and one, uh, which was two and a half minutes to go, and uh, they gave him Eastern Washington the first down. On a controversial spot, and they wound up scoring the winning touchdown. But I, I do think, uh, yeah, I hope I hope it's another one point game. And, and here's the thing with the Bison, and and yeah, you fall behind Illinois State, you're you're in trouble, you know, in the closing minutes of a championship game like they were. But to me, they're they don't necessarily have to blow you out. They're content to just grind mm. you down and, and and overpower you over a four quarter uh, period. I mean, they want to. They're ready to wear you down in the second half. So it could be like a fourteen to ten game. They could be up. They could be down. And it's almost like they're in control because they do wear you down at the line of scrimmage with that power run game as well, and and, and just the way they play defense. So close games, they just seem to pull them out no matter what. They're, they're, they don't play many close games, but when they do, they seem to be so relaxed in that atmosphere. And they know how to finish. And as you said, it's for Eastern Washington their last game appearance here was 2010 North Dakota State this is just a regular road trip uh, so we'll certainly be looking forward to that to the national championship game again folks this is Craig Haley from FCS Stats um, follow him on Twitter you know, don't send him too many <laughs> tweets too close to Selection Sunday because trust me if it's not a, if it's not a smart question he will let you know well, and he'll let you know with a period people people i guess people don't understand craig doesn't pick the playoff field this is like, no but it's true you're right people think that i, I have no say in that you're the overlord craig it's clearly what you do craig thanks so much for joining us uh, have a happy new year and we will um hopefully hear from you soon sure dave emery i really appreciate it great talking to you same here i'll see you down there in, in frisco Terrific. I'm looking forward to it. See you guys. All right, folks, that was Craig Haley. Tremendous as always. Um, real good dude, man. Real good dude, and the knowledge is off the charts. Folks, if you have a chance, to, I mean, obviously, FCS Stats is our resource. So if we use it, you know it's good. But he writes the Athletic, I believe, as well. For for Athlon. Athlon Craig Sports. does a lot of great stuff. And, and a lot of times, if I'm bringing up something on the show and I, I I have an idea of what I'm saying but I don't know if it's factual or uh, historically correct Craig will shoot me a DM and say like here here's what you were talking about um, this is actually what it is and I think that's just awesome to have someone mm. that's just a wealth of knowledge right there so if you're not following Craig follow him on Twitter at Craig Haley also make sure you follow at FCS underscore stats great resource Craig Haley is our guy he's my dude and um, he's gonna do a great job covering the FCS FCS once again. You know, he's like he said, he's been to all the championship games in Frisco. He'll be at this one, and you know, 
God willing, he'd be there for the next 40, you know? So mm-hmm. he's a really good dude. I'm, I'm a big fan of Craig Haley. And he's a New York Red Bulls fan. So that that right the, there, I wish I would have got into it with because about the <laughs> shirt he sent. Like, I, I, I knew I forgot something. I had my notes. Make sure you attack Craig and Dave for about their love for, 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 for soccer. No, absolutely he lucky not. He got all, he, he lucky we got sidetracked because I was going to put both <laughs> you guys in, in the corner and, and just berate you for that unnecessary love of the never-ending season of soccer. Unnecessary. I love football and football. I love them both equally. Thank you very much. <laughs> Just saying. Although being a Jets fan is slowly killing me. Let's get... We ended our conversation with Craig on the national title game. Right. Now, it would be very easy to just say our prediction and stuff like that. He got off easy, but we're going to break this down. Because we said it two weeks ago, this is much closer on paper. Again, there's a whole bunch of intangibles off the field that are going to be included with this but on paper this is very very close and we're going to go position by position here folks let's start with the quarterbacks we know what's coming for the green and gold of the bison easton stick incredible season again i mean this kid is just a natural leader he's a natural football mind but he's also dangerous he's throwing he's showing he can throw the football too which again with the offense that north dakota state runs you don't see as often other side, Eastern Washington, it's hardly been an easy road for them. They started with Gage Gubrud, the senior that started the year. He gets injured in the, in the fifth game of the season. Barrier comes in, and all of a sudden, they've got a real playmaker back there, a quarterback, almost a carbon copy of Easton Stick. These two guys are very, very similar in the game. When you look at matching up against North Dakota State is almost like matching up against Alabama and you have to find where you can have success so one thing you need is a guy that can get out the way of pressure so Mm. Eastern Washington has that you also have to have the ability to attack them vertically down the field without being afraid of throwing the football down the field or afraid of the fact that they can bring pressure Eastern Washington does that so that's another check can you run the ball Eastern Washington Washington has proven that they can do that. So that's a check. Mm-hmm. So offensively, they have the the ingredients to make this a game. Right. So the other part of that offense is the offensive line. Mm. Can they withstand the pressure they're going to see, pick up the blitz, be able to identify stunts and pressures of that nature, and also be able to protect and, and make sure that Barry has time to find those targets deep down the field. And can your offense score quick? Because you're going to be in a situation in this game at some point that you're going to have to come back from a deficit. More than likely. So whether it's three, seven, double digits, can your offense fire quick? And we saw that against UC Davis. Yes. So And, and the thing, it's amazing. You think, oh, these guys aren't similar. They're not similar at all. Let me break some stats down for you. For Barry A, he had 24 passing touchdowns, 2,252 passing yards, seven interceptions. Easton Stick, 26 touchdowns, five picks, 2,554. And the similarities don't stop there. Rushing the ball, Barrier, 90 carries, seven touchdowns, 603 yards. Easton Stick, 99 carries, 556, 14 touchdowns. He leads the team in rushing touchdowns. So, but the numbers are right there. They're very, very close. Do you give an edge in either way on this one? I think it's a push. I think it's a push. I, I do. Maybe you give a slight edge to Easton Stick because he's been here before. Right. That's the only thing I would say is maybe leadership. Yeah, a lead, little like, bit and, gives and, him the edge, but I think it's on paper it's even. Yeah, and, and talent wise, I think they're even. 
You know, so I would say, like you said, maybe, okay, so I, I will correct my statement and give a slight edge to Easton Stick because he's played in the championship game before. The slightest of edges. Right. The slightest of edges. Because he's played in two. Yeah, he's played. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, oh, yeah, he's he, he was responsible for the one Carson Wentz came back for. He right. got them through the playoffs, uh, but he's played in two. So, so I mean, uh, I think that gives them the slight edge, but on paper. Talent-wise, they're, 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 you know, it's a, it's a wash. They're right there. Let's move to the running back position. Um, two very different styles of running the football in terms of um, how these teams operate. Eastern Washington, they have their guy, Sam McPherson. He's had a great, a phenomenal year. 1,352 yards, 12 touchdowns on the ground for the senior. Um, he is their key back. Uh, Antoine Custer has also had a very good season. He's had eight touchdowns. Tamaric Pierce, he's got another seven. But you look at North Dakota State, I mean... I don't know what I mean. This is the you can't call it a stable. It's a corral of bison. I don't know. It's <laughs> that's a good one. I like that. Bruce Anderson, who again, he should be an NFL prospect. He's going to the Senior Bowl. Nine touchdowns, just under a thousand yards. Lance Dunn, twelve touchdowns, eight nineteen. Ty Brooks brings the speed on the outside. You still got Cofield, who we haven't even talked about. He's a sophomore. He's the next one up. I mean. So what's what do you I mean both of these teams have two or three backs deep they can go to yeah and, and you also count East and Sticks ability to run and Barry but, and Barry so I to me I would because of the depth and the quality of depth I would give it to North Dakota State mm. um, I love McPherson big fan of his game because he can catch the ball in the backfield too that's true um, but North Dakota State has like you said a corral or a stable of of bison that can just <sighs> literally run downhill with speed so I, I would give the edge significant edge to in, in that regard to the Bison okay I would agree with you on that one I think I think McPherson will have a part to play here I think depending on how effective he is that's how effective Eastern Washington's offense will be overall but there's just too much depth for North Dakota State at this position there's just no way they can um, be the lesser I think in this one let's move to wide receiver we're going to split up wide receivers and tight ends who do you give the edge to in the wide receiver position? Because again, these are Eastern Washington is much more of the team more prolific in the passing game. They're known for kind of being an air it out. They were under Gubrud the last couple seasons. It's kind of shifted away from that, but they are still a highly passing team. Yeah, and I would say that edge goes to Eastern Washington. You know, because of the experience, the the amount of reps that they get, uh, so the savvy they'll have as far as route running and all that. I think you have to give the edge to that. Uh, so I think that's why, in that regard. But again, North Dakota State's receivers do make plays when they're when they're called upon. Exactly. So you you know, it's a it's a, I think it's almost like a style thing. Yeah. You know, like you could look at option uh, receivers, teams that are playing in the option offenses that are, are wide receivers, and you look at oh they don't get like the seventy five catches, they get only sixteen, but. Nine are for touchdowns. Yeah. So it's not not calling North Dakota State's offense an option offense, but like you said, when they're called upon, they answer the call and they are able to have success. So I would still give the edge to Eastern Washington from a personnel standpoint. I, I would agree with you there. It's going to be interesting to watch the matchup, though, of the top receivers because they're both very similar in that they're undersized wide receivers that are the top guys for both teams. You have Darius Shepard. Um, for North Dakota State, who's got almost a thousand yards receiving and seven touchdowns this year, he's had a very good season. And then uh, Nasimba Webster for Eastern Washington, 
he's their big playmaker. But again, he's only 5'10", 180. Right. Um, but he's had 1,200 yards, almost 1,300 yards receiving this year, um, 11 TDs for him. So both of those guys, it'll be interesting to see who has the better of that matchup, you know, on both sides of the ball. Tight end position, obviously more of a power game for North Dakota State. Does that give them the edge in that position? Yeah, that gives them an edge. And um, they, they actually throw to their tight ends, too. So They do, actually, yeah. You know, they do it a lot. And, and Eastern Washington has tight ends on the roster, but obviously that's an edge that you go to North Dakota State. You all right over there, man? You, if you guys could be in studio right now, <laughs> this guy just took a swig of his water, and all of his water went down his shirt. Not all of it, just part of it. You know, it, 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 it's New Year's Eve, folks. I gotta get... <laughs> What's in that bottle over there, Dave? <laughs> it's fine. Let's move to the offensive, <laughs> offensive line um, before we get to um, the defensive side. O-line, this is what has decided the games for North Dakota State all year in the playoffs. The question, you know, they've had they've gone up against some pretty good teams, some really good football teams, Colgate, South Dakota State. But for whatever reason, this is what's something that Craig said when he was on here. They just wear you down. And that starts on the offensive line. Eastern Washington, do they have that kind of potential to hold the defensive line of North Dakota State in check? This is a significant edge for North Dakota State. Yes, it is. You don't really get pressure on East and Stick. You don't really blow up their their running game to stop the run. Yeah. So that is a wall up front. Mm -hmm. Also... On the other side, we, we've seen, and I keep going back to the UC Davis game, but we've seen them have issues in protecting the QB. Mm-hmm. Barry has done a solid job in buying time. Now, it's the tale of two games. You look at what they did against Maine, juxtaposed to what they did against UC Davis. True. So, out those two, which is the better representation of what Eastern Washington brings to the table offensively from an offensive line perspective? Mm-hmm. But for North Dakota State, you could pop on any North Dakota State game. You could pop on a North Dakota State game versus a Power 5 team, top 15 team in Iowa, and see, like, well, damn. <laughs> All guys couldn't get pressed, you know what I'm saying? So I think another significant advantage for North Dakota State. And see, I think the way you judge the offensive line is when the quarterback is forced to roll out, how are they doing it? If you watch Easton Stick, when he – is forced to go on the run on a passing play, he's got his out. He knows, okay, I've got you know this avenue I can run through. If I get you know if I feel uncomfortable, the timer goes down, mm-hmm. I can get out. Barrier, he's kind of got to improvise a little bit. You know, sometimes it gets a little bit chaotic in there. Even if there's pressure on Easton Stick, it never feels chaotic. It feels a little bit chaotic for Eastern Washington, so Barrier has to more improvise. Um, but I completely agree. I think North Dakota State. I mean, really, any Missouri Valley Conference team, you're going to get a good offensive line. North Dakota State has almost perfected it. It's really kind of – it's almost impressive to watch how they can almost bully a team um, out of the gate. Um, let's move to the defensive side of the ball, the defensive line. Eastern Washington actually impressed me a lot against Maine, the way they were able to hold them in check on the first level. North Dakota State, though, is right there with them. This is actually a pretty even matchup, I think. Yeah, I agree. I, this was a push for me. Yeah. So – I think in that regard, you look at, okay, how they get pressure, how they go about their business in, in playing uh, defense, I, I think it's even. Depth is going to be the question. True. You know, can you consistently bring it throughout the course of a 60-minute, which will be a physical game, um, and that will probably tilt a little bit to, toward North Dakota State, but 
don't undersell what JT Tooling Company for Eastern Washington can do up front. I think this is a push. I think it's going to be a push as well. I mean, and again, though, it's going to be a question of the matchup against the offensive line. Right. So how much more, you know, in terms of the talent on the defensive line, even. What they can do against the respective offensive yeah, line of the other team. Yeah, this is more of a yeah, unit-based. Uh, yeah, line versus line, North Dakota State has the edge. Right. But in terms of just the D-line and what they have on there, it's a push. Right. Linebacker position. This is where it gets real interesting because defensively, these teams are both very, very good. They're really good. From the second level back. Right. And the linebacking core for Eastern Washington, they looked very impressive spreading out the field when Maine tried to run against them in the, in the semifinal. North Dakota State, they just come downhill and just punish you every single play. I don't think it's even. I still think it's even. I don't, I don't, I don't argue with you there, but I disagree. I would give this edge to North Dakota State. They are very instinctive backers that mm-hmm. can that don't have to leave the field. True. Guys that can play the run as effectively as they can play the pass. I would give the edge to North Dakota State here too. Okay. All right. Uh, but I but I I understand your position on Eastern Washington and I agree they are very good. I'm I'm just going in a different direction. And I see I think that's one again a key matchup is going to be the running backs when they go outside for North Dakota State against the linebackers from Eastern Washington. We saw them get out wide and stretch plays Mm -hmm. against Maine. You got a different quality of back in North Dakota State where you have a speedster like a Ty Smith. Can you keep up with him and force him outside, stretch that play out? Or you have a quarterback that's not afraid to getting hit. Bingo. And so now (laughs) you have to worry about that element too. Um, They didn't have to worry about that against uh, Maine. No. So you got a guy in Easton Stick that's Essentially making it up, a, a, a you know three backfield, three back backfield, and sometimes four at times. Sometimes you have exactly. the, the, the triple back there, and then Eastern sticks says, "No, oh, I'm just going to keep it myself." Bingo, it's fine. Let's go to the corners position though. Again, secondary. I think this is almost even across the board, mm-hmm. but I think Eastern Washington has a little bit of an edge in the secondary, and especially at the corner position, just because of the offenses that they face on a weekly basis in the Big Sky. They get more experience with this kind of pass, uh, the deep passing game on the wings. North Dakota State, you get some of that in the Missouri Valley, but it's not really prevalent. You see more of a middle passing game. I think Eastern Washington has the edge of the corner position. I don't. I, I like North Dakota State. They are a press group. They will press. You saw what they did, South Dakota State? That's true. That they, is true. Receivers on a, on a, on a perimeter on the corner. <laughs> like I like the fact that they don't mind playing press. And they have, I know we're going to get to safeties, but that's why Robbie Grimsley is able to do what he does. <laughs> you mean pick off the ball like Exactly, because those corners do a great job of pressing on the outside. They, they can mirror and match. They do a great job getting their hands on the, on the receiver. They play well with their feet so they can redirect you with their feet and don't even have to touch you. So they can play any type of press technique. They do a great job of making every catch a tough one. Mm. They close on the ball well significant edge to North Dakota State on the corner. Wow. Okay. Yes. Interesting. Grimsley had, what, six interceptions, I think, this year? Something something ridiculous. Something like that. Safety position, though. Grimsley. How about Kreiner? Seven picks for him for Eastern Washington. Yeah. Uh, listen, Eastern Washington normally has really good defensive backs. Yes. Like, legitimately pro defensive backs. Guys that can match up in, in versatile. Safety position, I will call it a push. 
14 different guys, by the way, have gotten an interception for Eastern Washington this year. They fly around the ball. They are Pun so, intended. But again, this is another question. Jeez, that terrible pun. <laughs> the, other, <laughs> the other question I have, though, and this is something I think came up last year in the title game, what does Eastern Washington do, do with the middle passing game? Because when you watch Eastern Stick throw the ball, it's not very often not past the 20 yards downfield. It's mm-hmm. around that 10 to 15 range. Can the linebackers be versatile enough to be able to play against all those running backs and still defend the pass? Well, uh, you, you would hope so, but I think it's going to be a lot of safety involvement. Yeah. You know, They're going to have mm-hmm. to trust what they see. They're going to have to drive on the football. Can they play you know, a, a downhill passing game, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, a, approach? And also, can they stay disciplined enough over top? And there was, Let's say if you're trying to play cover four, which is a zone defense that, he's, that eventually turns into a man defense. Can you be disciplined enough to where you stay in that zone before it turns into man enough to where you get pressure on Easton Stick and force an errant pass where you then you could drive on the ball? They're going to be putting some tough situations in this game. I think it's a push. I love both safety uh, groups on both teams. Mm-hmm. The, the game plan is going to have to be unique in how they are able to have that success on, uh, on game day. Let's move into special teams. We're going to just combine them all here, kicking, punting, and kick return. Do you have an edge here? Because I have one for, for myself in terms of special teams. I think – now, special teams, uh, w- return game or the kicking, or just kicking? I, I, think, I think I've got the advantage for both if you want to divide it up. Return game, I'm giving that to North Dakota State. See, that's the that's, – no. <laughs> There's only one team that's got a kick return or a punt return for the touchdown between these two. And it's Eastern Washington. How often does North Dakota State kick out for it? <laughs> like, that's what I'm saying. Like, but you have Nasimba Webster is their punt returner for Eastern Washington. He's got a TD this season. That's all I'm saying. It's, it's, I think the return game is North Dakota State. Kicking game, I think, is a push. Kick, well, I, you want you said we said on, off camera, folks, if you're going to do a rant, you have to have facts. Here are some facts in terms of the kicking game. Cam Peterson for uh, North Dakota State. 8 of 13 on field goals this year. Um, rolled on Alco Bendis, 15 of 15 this year. He's been perfect from field goal. And again, these are two teams that score a lot of touchdowns. Right. So they don't get a lot of use in the kicking game, but he's been perfect. Which so, is long. It doesn't say on here on the FCS stats website, unfortunately, but... At Craig Haley. <sighs> Craig. <laughs> See, this is he's the, responsible for it. He's completely responsible for it. <laughs> But I'm just saying, I, this game may not be close. I think it has the potential to be. It has also has the potential to be, you know, a, you know, not a blowout, but a, a significant win. If it does come down to special teams, I think Eastern Washington has the edge. How many pressure kicks do you think he's, he's hit in pressure moments? Enough to get be perfect. I mean, I mean. Come I mean, on. and I remember mean, we're outside. Come on, remember we're outside. So, so is uh, they practice outside. They don't practice in that far zone. But the pressure kicks are inside when there's no wind. Just saying. Didn't they hit a big kick against Iowa? Hell, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I would I, listen. All right, so we laid it out. Obviously, I'm not going to give my prediction on on air because I have the video. But <clears throat> who are you picking to win this game? I have made the mistake one too many times of picking against the Bison. I couldn't be stupid enough to do it a third time, could I? 
You can, but are you? No. I think, and the reason why is experience at the quarterback position and your leadership positions. You have Coach Kleiman's last game. You know, he's moving to Kansas State. You know the player's going to be motivated. You know he's going to be motivated. Eastern Washington, I think, is going to be a team to watch the next two years as well. I think they could go to a couple games in a row, a couple title games in a row. But in terms of just the experience of being there and the dominance on the offensive front, Craig said said it, this team wears you down. They just grind you into dust. I think North Dakota State gets another title. They're seventh. They're the record breakers now on Saturday. I think they win it. I'm going to go 31-17. I think if Eastern Washington can connect on a couple of big plays that we aren't expecting, which they have the capability to do. They will. And Barrier, we've seen him go on long touchdown runs himself. It's not just Easton Stick. So if there are some explosive plays that we're not seeing during our predictions here, I think it's a much closer game and Eastern Washington gets a chance. I just think by the time we get to the third quarter, toward the end of it, North Dakota State's just having their way with it, I think, a little bit. Yeah, it's going to be a fun game. I'm I'm glad I'm, I'm going to be down there. Now I'll be uh, – reason why I'm down there in Frisco, Texas, because right across the way in Fort Worth, I'll be covering the College Gridiron Showcase. I'll be going uh. to my Gulliver's Travels of College <laughs> Scouting, starting in Fort Worth with the College Gridiron Showcase, which starts on Friday, I believe, or Saturday. Uh, it's like a meet-and-greet intro, and then the practices are Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday is the scrimmages because they don't play a game. They do, they do scrimmages, which is great because scouts don't even stay for games. Um, yeah. Scouts usually attend the practices, then they go. So they have scrimmages. And I'll go from there to the Tropical Bowl in Daytona Beach, in which I will be the color analyst on that one. That's another underrated game. You know, I was at the FCS in the National Bowl. Uh, those people run the Tropical Bowl. And so that's from that Thursday, January 10th, through that Sunday, the 13th. Um, then I'll go across the state to St. Pete for the East-West Shrine game. Um, be there all week. Uh, some FCS guy, Easton Stick, will be the quarterback in that game. Uh, Jordan Brown, the cornerback for South Dakota State, will be playing. Ethan Greenwich, the offensive tackle of Villanova, will be there. Jesper Horstead, the receiver from Princeton, will be down there as well. So be scary. Uh, right. Some good FCS talent will be there. Then from St. Pete, I go to Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl. So the man doesn't rest, folks. It starts. And, and in between, I'll try to visit some FCS schools in, in, within the area. I'll try to reach out to some schools uh, in, in both Texas, Florida, uh, Alabama, and Mississippi, and Louisiana while I'm on my travels to get some more coaching interviews. Hopefully nobody gets no, any more all the coach change to stop. <laughs> yes, you know, no more. No more. Please. You know. So <laughs> last year I was able to get to uh, Nichols and um, Southern and also Alabama State while I was down on my uh, January travel. So I'll try to do the same, get to meet some coaches, um, hopefully get to do the same thing in those in those states, and uh, we'll make it work. So, And uh, one, we got to do a couple, one more thing here. Um, if you follow at FCS Stats, you yeah. have seen this. Um, a tweet from Case Kukas from uh, Northern yes, Arizona. I saw that this morning. By the way, his Twitter handle, Captain Kukas. I love it. Phenomenal. QB1. Um, the tweet saying, quote, excited and proud to announce that I will start uh, grad school and continue my playing career at Northern Arizona. We were questioning whether or not with the injuries 
and everything that's gone on there. So now they have a new head coach, but they have the same quarterback. Case Cookus will be back um, for his graduate season, another season uh, for Northern Arizona. So certainly some help there. Great for him because this is the guy I think is a legit pro prospect. Reminds me a lot of Jared Goff. Hopefully he can put together his, his final season full strength health. He gets through the season healthy. Yeah. He's a legit, I would say, day two talent at the quarterback position. If he had had a healthy year this year, do you think he would have come out for the draft? You know what? That's a great question. I thought he was going to come out because of the injury. And, you know, instead of risking yeah. it. He, he has a lot of good tape, man. And But if he does come back, stay healthy, yes, he's going to be an NFL draft pick. We've got, obviously, the NFL season wrapped up yesterday. We've got playoffs to talk about. you have uh, any thoughts on uh, which teams made it and which teams didn't? Oh, wow, man. There was, man Maybe, if, uh, only, if only there was a way to know that Lamar Jackson was going to be good, right? Hmm, it's, only it's, there was a way. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. If only they, they played games prior to getting to the NFL, right? Hmm, it's, it's interesting. Maybe college football. They should let them play football in college. Brilliant. That's a great idea, Brilliant. right? Like, well, we can't pay them. We can't pay them. No, we can pay everybody else. We can't pay them. Um, um, but we have college bowl games coming up as well. So yes. um, whenever you're listening to this, some of these games might be over. So, But we'll never know. Uh, a lot of bowl games today here on New Year's Eve. We, we provided the soundtrack for Christmas Day. We, we might as well do it for New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Military Bowl at noon, Cincinnati and Va Tech. Go Tech. Sun, uh, the Hyundai Sun Bowl, Stanford Pitt at 2 o'clock. It's an interesting ball game there. Pitt got running backs. Red Box Bowl, Michigan State, Oregon is on at three. Oregon getting their quarterback back for another season. That's a huge, huge deal. That's a bad matchup for Michigan State. I think so, too. Liberty Bowl, ESPN, 345, Missouri at Oklahoma State. That's that's going to be fun. That's good. That could go into the 70s. Um, Fox Sports 1, 7 o'clock. My dad's looking forward to this one. The Holiday Bowl, Northwestern and Utah. Northwestern. Underrated program in the Big Ten. So is Utah in the Mountain West. I mean, in the Pac-12, not Mountain, Mountain West. Mountain. Well, oh. you just I'm saved old. I, I, I'm old. <laughs> and then ESPN at 7.30 to, uh, tonight, NC State and Texas A&M in the Gator Bowl. Um, New Year's Day, Outback Bowl at noon, Mississippi State versus Iowa. Iowa always a tough team to play against. Shout out to Joe Moorhead, my guy. <laughs> Joe Moorhead. Citrus Bowl, Kentucky, Penn State at ABC. Very interesting game. Kentucky is all of a sudden becoming not just a basketball Kentucky school. Kentucky on a New Year's Day game. How about who would have saw, saw Shout that out five to Tim years Couch. ago? Fiesta Bowl at one o'clock. LSU and UCF. Can UCF do picked, it again? Yeah, I already picked UCF. Upset. <laughs> LSU has half their roster sitting out. In Although, addition to UCF having to you know carry that flag for everybody else. Did you see LSU's ca- uh, coach during the press conference though? Yeah, can, I'm, <laughs> can you be quiet? I'm here. I'm doing the press conference. I love Thank you. I love Coach O, man. <laughs> He's one of a kind. <laughs> the Grand Day of all, the Rose Bowl game, 5 o'clock ESPN, Washington and Ohio State. Not all happy days at Ohio State. A lot of recruits changing, uh, changing their verbal commitments away from there. Well, and here's the thing. Ohio State has the best quarterback that's draft eligible. Got a first round grade from the draft advisory committee. He would be a fool if he ignored that and went back to Ohio State. I mm. think Haskins is coming out, and therefore, if you're the Giants, Jags, or Dolphins, Ooh. you should make a move to make sure you acquire his services. Interesting. And then 845, the Sugar Bowl on New Year's Day, Georgia versus Texas. You think Georgia's going to be a little bit angry going into this game? It was so funny to watch all those players tweet out during the Oklahoma <laughs> game. 
and, and during the Notre Dame game, it was like, man. Oh, especially the Notre yeah, Dame game. Yeah, it was game. like killing Notre Dame. But, yeah, it's going to be a good one. I, I love the show. Obviously, I grew up in New Orleans, born and raised. The Sugar Bowl was always a big game. Yeah. I remember when it was the USFNG Sugar Bowl. Oh, um, I don't even know what USFNG was, but <laughs> you always said USFNG Sugar Bowl. Um, so that's a great matchup. I, that one is going to be packed because of the teams that are playing in the proximity. So Exactly. Folks, thank you for listening in. Enjoy the FCS title game that is coming up on January the 5th. Um, I mean, we already know what the FBS title game. We knew that when the playoff draw was me and the FBS, Alabama Clemson. Who cares? The FCS game is going to be much more intriguing, much more fun to watch. Eastern Washington, North Dakota State on January the 5th. Again, folks, have a very happy 2019. Hopefully it's a better one than the last year that we've had. Um, again, tonight, please be safe. Please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly. Look out for each other out there. Have a great new year. We'll see you in 2019. Have a good one, folks.